Hello friends, this is Doug Scheibel and welcome to the Premature Bible Institute. Today we're going to be working on Lesson 9, which is the creation of the physical world. We're going to continue on with that. But today we're going to uh, get into another day of creation. Now one of the reasons I'm taking a long time in this uh, beginning part of Genesis is because it's so important to understand these things because they do reveal something about who God is in a unique way. And I think it's important for you to understand this and come to grips with that. Now, you remember in the last lessons, we've already talked about how God existed in eternity by himself and was content and satisfied as he was. And then he just decided to start creating. And when he started creating, uh, we don't know exactly when he created the angels. I, I believe that he created them before the creation of the physical world. But in any event, uh, and that's how I'm going to be looking at it and teaching from, but if people have a difference of opinion, that's okay with me. I just um, believe that there are some things that give that indication. But then uh, God decides to start creating. And uh, it talks there in Genesis 1, he says about the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters. So there was this big blob or glob of water out there. Uh, Don't know what it was. Don't know it doesn't tell us much about that coming into being other than it's there. And God, uh, uh, the Spirit, uh, decides, it says he moved upon it. It was more in uh, line, like I was saying before. It's not like he was flying around over it saying, hello, how you doing? It's a nice day, that type of thing. It was a matter that he was beginning to create. And if you remember right, I talked to you a little bit just as a metaphor, talking about the Spirit of God coming over the face of the waters, turning around to the audience, which were the angels, who were the only other beings that could see this at this particular point other than God himself. And then that little sound, which gives the indication that God was getting ready to create, the crowd gets quiet, and then he starts the process of creating. And the way he creates is he speaks. He lifts his baton, and he says, let there be light. And you know what? There was light. It happened. Because his power, his knowledge, his wisdom, his perfection, all of that went into it. And light had perfect properties and so on. And the second day, he comes up and he says, let there be a firmament in the middle of water, in the midst of waters or in the middle of them. So he separates the waters above from the waters beneath. And he puts this expanse in between that we call, uh, they call it heaven in there, but it's not the heaven where God lives. It's the heavens as we think about it. And so he looks up and there's a sky and there's air there and all the different things that, uh, that we uh, think about. And then uh, he comes up here now, we're coming up to the third day of his creative process. And the Spirit of God turns, bows to the crowd again. Of course, I'm speaking metaphorically. And you hear that sound? And all of a sudden, God speaks. In Genesis 1, verses 9 through 10, it says, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So here we have an account of God now creating dry land. Uh, So up to this point, in this point, uh, throughout all eternity, there had never been dry land. There had never been light that the God cre- that God created. There had never been air. So now we've got this dry land. And he says a few things about it. Now, I want to think about this for a second. You know, we see in our world, uh, we see natural disasters, and we see all these things that happen. 
But were our people able to control weather? I mean, we look in Houston at the floods that just came down there for Hurricane Harvey. Was anybody able to stop those floods from happening? Uh, Did Florida or Puerto Rico stop the hurricanes that were moving their way? Or did the weather reporters stop uh, the cold that we just had here recently? Um, Do you think God created the angels so they could sandbag all the dry land so that the waters could move back? No, as a matter of fact, if that was the case, then the waters would have got higher uh, rather than lower. But he didn't. He said he spoke and it happened. That's the way God works. When he says something, it will happen. And so uh, God is revealing uh, another aspect of his power. But uh, And in Psalm 95, verse 5, it says this, The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So here we have an example in Scripture that the author, the writer of that particular verse, thinking about what he understood, what do you think he was thinking? When he said the sea is his, why would it be his? Because God created it. And when he made it, uh, the reason was is because he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Now, when he talks about the hands, he's not talking about a physical form or physical f- feature of God's. It's a, metaf- it's a term, a reference, a, um, a picture of God taking an active role in the creation, uh, not only of the sea and everything, but the dry land is also his. So God put everything where it needed to be. Now, you know, I remember there was... Um, a cartoon I used to really like, uh, uh, a particular uh, writer of um, cartoons in, in uh, newspapers and stuff. And one day I saw this particular one. It made me laugh when I saw it. And it shows this little baby in a bassinet, you know, and there it is in the water and so on. And uh, the baby's just sitting there and all cute and everything. And uh, the mother is standing above the baby. And the water is standing on one side of the baby and standing on the other side of the baby. And the mother says, now Moses, cut that out. And I remember laughing because I just thought about it. You know, here it is. It wasn't Moses, by the way, who caused the water to to part. But we'll talk about that at another time. But the idea was man cannot control anything that God has created. God himself is able to control. We can manipulate. We can make light uh, do certain things. We can bend it. But we can't create it. God puts properties in those things that allows man to do things with it, such as air. We can uh, clean air. We can dirty air. We can do a lot of things uh, with air. Uh, We can breathe it in. We can breathe it out. But we can't create it. We can't give it the life-giving properties that it has. So um, God spoke and the dry land appeared. Um, God didn't debate. He didn't dialogue with the water as to what it should do. He just spoke and it happened because God is the owner of the seas and the dry land. So this dry land uh, appears, and God spoke, and all that, that's all he had to do was he spoke, and he caused it to appear. Now, we don't know where all the water went, and we know that it was moved back, and there were seas. He caused dry land to appear. We don't know if the water just all came up, or the dry land came up. Uh, it was there, and the waters just kind of moved uh, to its natural boundaries. Uh, some think that maybe it went underground. Some of it did anyway because that's all this earth was, was just a lot of water at one point. So some of it may have gone underground, and the rest is what makes up our seas and oceans and everything. So uh, that's, but that's not all he did on day number three. That's the first part. But the second part is he does something else. And Genesis 1, verses 11 through 13, it says this, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, 
plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. Now, I think it's kind of interesting right here, uh, because, you know, just because we do not see a reason for something being created does not mean that there is not a purpose for its creation. Remember in the beginning, I told you the angels were probably sitting there, and I, like I said, I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know how much God had revealed to them, but think about it for just a minute. They're sitting there, and they see this big blob of water. Day one, God creates light, and they're saying, ooh, man, that was impressive, but what's the point? And day two, the firmament comes up. Okay, I'm not sure. What does that mean? You know, uh, the firmament, uh, you know, all the air and whatever. Day three, the dry land appears. And, you know, uh, they're looking at that, all that stuff. You know, water could exist by itself. Light could exist by itself. Air could exist by itself. And even dry land could exist by itself. But plants cannot. They need all of those things that were created before it in order for them to exist. So uh, now God has revealed himself in a more concrete way, a purpose for the foundation of what was done before. So all of a sudden they're looking, okay, these four ingredients had to happen in order for plants to exist or for vegetation. Without those, if you would have pulled any one of those out of there, or if they wouldn't have been there, they couldn't exist. If they didn't have light, vegetation couldn't exist. If they didn't have water, vegetation couldn't exist. If they didn't have dry land, vegetation couldn't exist. If they didn't have air, vegetation couldn't exist. But now God brings all of those things into being, and then he brings the plants into existence. And so uh, it's kind of neat how uh, I think he did this. I remember I was at a camp um, teaching this years ago, and I was trying to decide when I went to this camp what I was going to teach. So what I did is I thought, okay, I'm going to teach the days of creation, but teach them the way we teach out in the tribe. And I can remember going to this thing, and I was talking through it all, and I was getting, I got up to day three here, and I was telling them about this. I said, you know, um, um, uh, I was just, well, let me, I'll tell you the second part of this, but I'll tell you the first part here, is after I got done with this lesson about God creating all the vegetation and everything, this 10-year-old kid came up to me and he said, you know, and this is a 10-year-old kid, mind you, he came up to me and says, you know, he says, I've never seen that before. I said, what's that? He says, I always knew that plants needed water and air and light and dirt to exist. He said, but I never saw how God created all of those first before he created the plants. I said, man, that's pretty good. Well, I said, well, what does that tell you about God? And he says, you know, God's an orderly God, isn't he? And boy, I tell you what, I just about got blown away right there. I thought, you know, this kid got it. And I thought, how simple could you put something and be so profound at the same time? God is an orderly God. God does things decently and in order. And God doesn't rush things. He does things at the proper time in the proper way, because why? It goes back to his perfection. God is a perfect God. God cannot do anything that is inconsistent with who he is. So uh, he did that. And then I also did this. I said, you know, I said, I want you guys to understand something. I said, you know, God could have created everything just one color if he'd have wanted to. You know, he could have created everything purple, purple sky, purple trees, purple sun, purple moon, purple stars, purple people, purple 
cats, purple dogs, purple fish, purple this, purple that, and so on and so forth. But I said, did he do that? And they said, no. I says, you know what? And he could have created just one kind of food if he'd have wanted to, spinach. And they all go, oh, no way, spinach? And I said, oh, not just any old spinach. I said, purple spinach. So for every morning for breakfast, you'd have purple spinach flakes for breakfast. Then you'll have purple spinach chip cookies for break. Then you have purple spinach uh, burgers for lunch and maybe a purple spinach soup for supper night. Wouldn't that be good? Mm-mm-mm. Wouldn't that be good? They just all grossed out. And I says, no, God didn't do that, did he? He made all these colors and sounds and textures and flavors and aromas. And they're all so different. We can smell things and see things and touch things and and uh, all the different taste things that are just so different and so diverse. I says, you know why? I says, because God's not a boring God. God doesn't bore us. And he gave us something that uh, uh, his reason for for creating these things will be, uh, and let me put it this way, his main reason for creating these things will be revealed very soon. But just so you know, God isn't a boring God. You know, farmers and horticulturists and ag ecologists plan on vegetation reproducing other vegetation like itself. Yes, they have, they try and manipulate a little bit to make corn grow better or wheat grow better or stronger or in different climates and so on, but they always know the wheat's going to produce wheat and they know corn's going to produce corn. Apples will produce apples. They know that uh, uh, roses are going to produce roses and so on. But there'll be all different colors of colors of roses and hibiscus and tulips and grass and leaves and so on and so forth. There'll be all the different kinds of sounds that are out there that you can hear, the wind and creaking trees or standing in a wheat field or uh, hearing the wind blow through the mountains and stuff. And flavors, the greens, you know, that you can eat, you know, for your salad or your carrots or apples or pears or watermelon, all these different things that are there, the flavors that they just don't bore us. And the textures, things you can feel, some are soft, some are rough, they all have purpose. And the aromas, all the different smells that are out there, you can smell, mm, can you imagine just smelling a, uh, a nice, um, um, what do you call it, um, uh, hi, um, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't think of the name of the plant all of a sudden, but uh, the tulips that are there or roses and all the different types of, um, of flowers that are out there, trees. I know farmers tell me sometimes that there's nothing that smells better to them than just fresh cut uh, alfalfa and just here to smell that. or uh, It's just different in different places, what people grow up with, what they smell, but it's nice and so they're there. So we've got all these different things, and what do they do? They look out into the universe, and they see order and symmetry and so on, and uh, they look around. You see trees. Not all the leaves are on one side of a tree, and then the other side's bare. No, God made it so that they're balanced, that they have symmetry to them and uh, order, and, and they they grow in a certain way. Farmers pl- uh, are uh, working every year to plant what they know is going to want to plant, they're not going to sit down and plant, uh, I mean, what would it be like if a farmer had to plant, uh, you know, wheat one year, and the next year they come out and there's a uh, whole bunch of um, fruit trees out there in the middle of the, the wheat field. And instead of growing apples, they're growing watermelons. 
and then the watermelons fall off the tree and bust open, and they're no good anymore. Well, it wouldn't even make sense, would it? No, they plant what they know is going to come up. Why? Because they know that God is an orderly God, and he does things decently and in order. So all the different things that you see, you can plan on them being there next year. Farmers plant wheat, they expect wheat. Farmers plant uh, corn, they expect corn. They plant alfalfa, they expect alfalfa. And so there's order and there's symmetry and all of this. You know, it's an interesting statistic. There's a uh, mathematician in India, and uh, he's not a believer. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't believe in God, but he does believe that the, that the creation that we have is unique. It's not uh, by chance, and it's not by randomness. But it did have, uh, there had to be a special creation, although he doesn't admit who it was or agree with who we think it might be. He believes that there has to be a creator of some sort, whatever it is, whether he believes it's aliens or who, whatever. But that's not my point right now. My point is he sees that this couldn't have happened by chance. And so what he does, this mathematician, is every year, whenever a new class comes in, the first thing he does is he has them calculate what the odds are, what the chances are of human enzymes forming randomly. Just human enzymes. Not anything else in the universe. Just that. So we're not talking about plant enzymes. We're not talking about the rotation of planets around the suns or the galaxies or anything else. Just human enzymes. What the chances are of those forming randomly. And he says they always come up with the same figure because it's a known number. There are only so many parts to uh, a um, human enzyme. And there are so many parts that have to fit together in order for uh, uh, humans to be uh, created. And the chances of a human enzymes forming randomly is one chance in 10 to the 40,000th power. 40,000th power. That's what it is. And so he sits down and he talks about that's one uh, or a 10 times 10 times 10 times 10, 40,000 times. And that's what the chances are of human enzymes forming randomly. So, you know, as a lot of us think, well, maybe that's maybe uh, they want to think like Lloyd Christmas did in Dumb and Dumber and says, so you're saying there's a chance. Well, let's put it this way. Let's just talk about that for a second. And, and he said he has them figure out what's the oldest anybody has ever said the universe is. Now, you got to understand something about many scientists. They don't care what the number is. They just change it if it doesn't fit their uh, theme. And if they're wrong one time, they just change it to something else and say they're right. So, But at that time, he said the oldest anybody had said the universe was was 32.8 billion years. So he says, calculate... He tells his class, calculate um, the uh, number of chances or what the possibilities were. Uh, um, Let's see, how do I want to say this? What he does is he says, if a supercomputer, if you could have a supercomputer that could sit down and figure out how many possibilities could be calculated in 32.8 billion years, what would you do? And so what he did is this. He says, if you could have a supercomputer that could calculate one, or uh, could try 1,000 trillion combinations every second for 32.8 billion years, you would have used up 1 in 10 to the 33rd power. That's all. So you would still have left to go over 
1 in 10 to the 39,967th power yet to go, which means you would have to go 1,200 times greater times 32.8 billion years to use up all those numbers. Well, obviously that's a number that nobody can uh, do. It's not been around. It can't. So the only way you could say is, oh, it's infinity. Uh, so, But then again, we went back to that earlier statement we talked about. If... Um, if if the universe is infinite and it's uh, it's in other words it never had a beginning, it's eternal. Then um, there's only three possibilities: either things are getting better, things are getting worse, or they have to stay the same. And by nature, something that's eternal has to stay the same, because if it's eternal, if it's getting better, that means it had to come from something that was worse. And if it's worse, it has to have come from something that was better. So eternal uh, would be the only thing. And if everything's the same as it's always been, then nothing's going to change. And it's always going to be stay the same. Isaiah 55, 9 says this, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what you have here is a God who is above everything else, not just in comparison, but just absolutely, because he's the creator. And brought everything into existence. So in conclusion, what we have here is God is not a random God. God doesn't do things just randomly and just think on the spur of the moment, this is what I'd like to do today. Oh wait, maybe that's not right. Maybe I should change and rearrange my order. Remember, God doesn't do do-overs. God isn't a God of trial and error. He does things right the first time, every time. There is no chance of him doing something wrong at all. So God is not a random God. Why? Because he's an orderly God. God does things decently and in order. He's also not a boring God. And we'll learn more about that and we'll talk about that, uh, not being a boring God. He's exciting. I mean, you look out into this, uh, well, uh, let me put it this way. Yeah, let me put it this way. You look out into the, the created world around you, all the vegetation, the giant redwoods or the pines or the giant oaks or the types of grass that are out there that you can go and lay on. Some of it you can uh, uh, just, you know, look around. You know how when you cut grass uh, in your lawn, how good that smells sometimes? The wheat and the corn and all the different things that you can see and the variety that's out there. And you just say, wow, all of this is out there just for us to look at. And you look down at the sky and you see the sky and it's just uh, um, out there and the clouds and so on and so forth. God is not an exciting God. But remember what he said after he gets done creating. And it was good. So God is a good God. That's why he creates good things. So this, uh, I know, will probably bring up some questions. Well, if God is a good God, why are things not good? That will be answered before too long. But for now, I just want you to stop and think about this. God doesn't do things randomly. God is all-powerful. He's not boring. Uh, he's orderly. He's exciting. He's good. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. There's nowhere he isn't. And like that one girl said, God is so big that he doesn't have to go anywhere. So think about those things. And uh, we'll talk more on the next lesson. I think it's going to be pretty exciting. Now, some of these lessons, like I say, I'm doing, um, I'm, I'm really slowing it down and taking time on particular lessons because I think they're important for us to understand and they're important for us to think about and consider and uh, just think about. So 
Um, and uh, so we'll just talk, we'll uh, get on to the next lesson uh, here before too long. Now, before I leave, I just want to say, if it sounds like I've had a cold, it's because I do. I uh, um, Not too long ago, I got that flu that was running around, then I got the cold, and uh, so, but I'm getting better now, and I feel real good, and I just want to thank you guys for the ones of you that have signed up to listen. You don't have to agree with everything I say, but I just want to give you something to consider, and the thing is, I want you to count. I want you to count for... Um, your lives to count and not just to have a life that is uh, meaningless or is just taken up with doing things that really don't matter. I really do want you to um, be a blessing to others. So as time goes on, uh, we'll get to see you more and talk some more. And I just want to thank you all so much for your kindness toward me and for uh, signing up. And by the way, if you have somebody sign up, please, um, or just um, give them a link to um, my site or onto a um, Apple Podcasts or Google Play. And if you do go on there, please have them uh, give a rating of what they think. Uh, have them listen for a few lessons and then put some ratings on there. And you can too. All right, guys. Uh, it's good to, to talk to you. Look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks so much. Goodbye.